Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to The Fire. Welcome to the fire, boys. My name is Parker McDonald. And I'm Walter Lee, and we'll be your hosts on this episode of the Southern Collective Hunting Podcast. If you're a new hunter trying to learn the basics, or you're a veteran woodsman just trying to get through your workday, there's always a place at our campfire for you. Speaking of the fire, we would love it if you guys would join our growing Patreon community and be a part of the best and only digital deer camp south of Mason Dixon Line. Come on. If you'd like and learn more, click on the link in the show notes. But for now, Walt, welcome, welcome to, to the fire. fire. Yeah, that's fine. That'll work. All right, everybody. Welcome back. We are back with episode nine or ten. I can't remember now at this point. It's all running together of the Southern Collective. My name is Walt. I am joined by the Smashburn himself. Matt is uh, off busy doing church functions. Parker is about 50 feet up in a West Virginia uh, tree right now. I don't know if I'm supposed to have said that. Oh, well, it's out there now. Uh, he's up in a tree uh, having a good old time right now. And so it is just Brett and I and a man whose legend, uh, he is is the talk of the check station, okay? This is the kind of guy that uh, you see his truck, and you kind of mentally mark the tag number, and when you're driving around midday because you don't have that confidence and you're kind of scouting, you're looking for King Kurt's uh, tag. You're looking for that spot because what you're going to do is – 
Uh, if you're a lazy hunter, you're going to go in there and get his sloppy seconds on that uh, on that WMA that he's just pillaged. Uh, we, we we've got Kurt himself, Kurt or Curtis. Okay, Curtis doesn't Kurt, matter. Doesn't matter. Whatever. Don't whatever call me call late me. for something, nah, right? No, nah, doesn't matter. That's right, <laughs> dude. I appreciate you uh, taking time out your evening. You have been on a rampage here lately, uh, but you you pumped the brakes long enough to, ho- to hop on the podcast with us, dude. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you, man. It's an honor, honestly. So <laughs> we're we're going to be talking about public land, a public land progression, and uh, the progression of a hunter in an area in a state, frankly, a part of the state that I don't really think is that great to hunt by comparatively speaking to other areas. Uh, but uh, you found a lot of success, and we're going to get to that in a few minutes. But why don't you kind of give everybody the elevator pitch? Who are you, and why should they listen to what you say? Yeah, my name's Curtis. Um, I reside in. Uh, North Central Florida. Um, I have a beautiful Cubana wife, um, four kids. And um, I don't know. I mean, probably the most interesting thing I would say is like um, I tend to, I think, surprise people with my um, eclecticness. I'm, you know, by day, I'm a total IT nerd. Um, and you know, but I also like to hunt and I used to run long distances and, uh, I just, yeah, I love working on my truck and house projects and just a, a varied assortment of hobbies and interests that don't, you wouldn't put them together. Um, usually, but yeah. What do you think is the weirdest hobby that you have? I'm curious. The weirdest hobby. Um, Hmm. I, well, what I would say, there was a period in my life where my wife called me um, the vegan vegan running hunter. <laughs> um, there was a period in my life where, so I was running uh, marathons, training for ultra marathons. I, through a process of um, trial and error and, and just sort of um, just paying attention to my body, I had discovered that I really performed better on a plant-based diet. So I basically quit eating meat for about a year and ate just solely plants. Um, I wouldn't call myself a vegan because vegans have typically like a ethical connotation. Um, whereas obviously I have no problem killing animals, um, and eating them. But in this period of my life, I was plant-based, um, but I still kept hunting. And so it was like the strangest thing. My wife's like, wait a second. So you're a marathoner who is plant-based yet hunts. She was like, you should start a blog or something because it's, you know, it's a pretty interesting combination. So, um, yeah, that I like, I mean, yeah, lots of random stuff, but I, 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 I took up running weird. Uh, for about six weeks. And then I realized that I am too mentally soft for running. I, I've got no place in my – I'm uh, my best – I'm a wind sprint kind of guy, right? So Gary Danielson mm-hmm. shuts up, the commercial hits, and I'm wind sprinting to the fridge and back. Like that's that's my, my suicide run. Um, Brett, do you, do you yeah. run? I know you work out. Or are you a weightlifting kind of fella? I used to run back in my younger days, but now I just go to the gym about an hour and a half, four days a week or so. Are you really – Dad yeah. damn it, dude. I think I might be the laziest person out of the entire group. I haven't lifted something heavy except a deer in like six months, man. <laughs> like I don't do anything to help take care of myself. I should. I really should. Well, so here here's the deal. So um 
we're going to get to your story here. And I think my hope is that today, tonight's podcast is going to kind of encourage some people. I think there's a lot of people who find themselves discouraged. We know in our Patreon group, we talked a lot about trust in the process and we had a, a wide variety of topics about what the process looked like, how much success you should find, um, you know, uh, how hard it should be. We had a really great dialogue and you had some really good insights in that dialogue. And then you proceeded to just schwack three deer in very rapid succession on public land. And so I kind of want to talk to you about your thought process going into that, but then also kind of what you did to, to get there. But, uh, before we get there, we got some business, some business to tend to, um, as a Patreon member yourself, uh, you know, the benefits of the group. And one of them is we give shout outs on the podcast. Uh, so we've got five left as of right now, Dale Nelson, Haynes Riddle, and Nick Chandler. Just want to say thanks to all you guys, uh, for supporting the show. Um, I am told that next week, the Patreon hats will get here. And I'm going to tell you, I'll give you all a little sneak peek. It's going to be an embroidered patch hat. Um, no more just embroidered hats. We're going super fancy for you guys. Um, that's kind of what's caused the delay is getting that patch kind of right. Um, but it's supposed to be here uh, next week. And along with that, we do a pile. Do you all hear that hum? Yeah. Brett, your mic's humming again. Did something just cut on like yeah. an AC or something? Yeah. Okay. Can you, um, what do I need to do about that? And then I know. do about it because my charger's not even plugged up. I tried mm. this time without my charger <laughs> being plugged up. Like it's running off the battery in my iPad. So you know I what we no need to do? I'm going to order you a mouse pad. I, that's what I'm going to do. Cause I think it's coming through like the bottom of your mic. I'm going to get you like a super soft mouse pad that you can put your, it's sitting on a mouse it really? Pad. It's sitting on, yeah, a big old pad. You know what? We're just going to get you a better set, set of headphones, and then this will solve the problem altogether. Yeah. So, all right. Well, now, I, I got to have something different because this just I agree. Working. No. I, I watch y'all drinking drinks, moving, and I can't even move my arm without y'all hollering at me <laughs> for making noises. And frankly, it pisses me off. Because I can't do anything over here without y'all saying something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, guys, uh, what you should do is sign up for Patreon. we got to buy Mike, uh, Brett a new mic, and so uh, we need some extra money there. But uh, along those lines, and, and I'll edit that out. It's no big deal. I'm not, I'm not going to throw you into the bus like that. Along those lines, we get do giveaways. And in the month of October, at the end of October, we're going to be giving away this dope-ass knife. I think Parker's going to allow me to say that in this instance. He told me I'm not allowed to curse anymore when we merged. Uh, so whenever he's not here, uh, the kids get to play. So uh, we got a, a dope-ass knife from Join or Die Knives. Kurt, you just saw this thing. It comes in a, a big, waterproof, hard shell. It's got a bottomland Kydex holder, a honing rod, snake oil, which is what conditions it. It's got Soko lasered into it. This thing is sweet, though, right? Yeah, I think you should um, start giving those out as uh, gifts to your guests that come on your show. <laughs> Starting today. Starting today. I'll give you some extra entries. How about that? But uh, <laughs> if you want in on that knife, uh, this is going to be a Patreon exclusive giveaway. Some of our our giveaways are, you know, broad sweeping. We'll include anybody, and some of our, our giveaways are a little more limited. Uh, in the month of October, at the end, we're going to pick a winner. We're going to send that to you. Um, just our way of saying thanks. I think that's like a... $250 knife package that he gave us. Um, it's a custom knife and it's gorgeous. So um, just want to say thanks to all the Patreon members. Uh, Tethered 
for helping us or join and dive rather I should say help join and dive for helping to support this show. We have a promo code with them. Soco hunt gets you 10% off an order. Uh, go check them out. And uh, if you're looking for a saddle, uh, all the cool kids wear tethered. So go check them out. Tethernation.com. But, uh, Kurt, we were, we were talking in the group and you went MIA for a little while and I'm glad you're back because honestly your opinion, um, is one of those that kind of like walks the line. There's like two sides of the coin. There's like the, the naysayers and the yaysayers. There's the, you shouldn't name drop public land spots and, and you should, it, it doesn't really matter. And then you're, you tend to be that guy that kind of walks that fence of like seeing both sides and connecting the group. And so, um, before we get to your story and what happened in the Patreon group, we talk a lot about trusting the process and that it takes what it takes to kill a deer and that you just have to love some of us, some of us, Brett and I, you have to love the process of pursuing deer. And if you, if you base your values on that, then you're never as disappointed as if you go in every time hoping to kill something. And then statistically you don't, right. Um, I'm not going to pretend to, or, 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 you know, summarize what you what your statement is on that so what do you what, what's your thought on the process um i mean i feel like there's a a direct correlation between what you put in and what you get out and that's probably generally true in life but um it like the harder you work um the more it sucks i feel like the uh the more it leads to success and um yeah i mean y- you can just you know, throw a pen at a map, walk out on the public land, set up and get lucky. Um, extremely unlikely. And I think most people, um, probably don't have the patience for repeated failure for, you know, the statistical odds of that working out for them. So, you know, the only other way to really have any success with hunting is you've got to work your tail off. Um, and yeah, to me, that's what the process is. It's, um, it's sweating your butt off in July, um, scouting in the summer. It's getting chewed up by mosquitoes and wading through swamps. It's, uh, postseason scouting as I know Brett likes to do a lot of it's, um, yeah, it's just a lot of hard work, a lot of hard work for a, uh, very small window of, um, absolute exhilaration. So, do you go, do, are you a trust the process kind of guy? Love the process kind of guy? Or are you, uh, I need to see something before I start getting depressed. Like, cause, cause basically the other side of the coin was, uh, for hunters who are learning, if you don't give them some form of a reward in that, in the form of success, then people are going to quit hunting. Right. And so just to kind of set the stage, yeah. I'm kind of of the mindset of there's a fine line between getting your avocado toast and eating it too, right? Like you, you, it shouldn't just kind of be handed to you that the suck should kind of be part of it. What's your thought? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think like you said, I'm kind of, I guess in the middle of the road there, I think that yes, absolutely. Um, person has to fall in love with the process. Um, you take a guy out, never hunted, whatever you put him in a stand and he shoots a big buck and, um, has no love for the process. Um, I, that, that person's probably not going to be a hunter long-term because that's just not reality. Reality is it's, um, you know, 90%, 95% hard work and suck, uh, and five to 10% of awesome. Um, but I guess even, I would say even the, the suck isn't terrible. You know, that that's, 
love in the process. Like you have to get to that point. But I think with new hunters, um, experienced hunters should do as much as they, you know, feel comfortable doing to flatten the curve a little. Um, and I specifically say that about Florida because, you know, again, my story of, of going, you know, four years of, I mean, if you saw how hard I scouted and the kind of crap I walked through and hacked my way through and just what I put like my body through, uh, for four years to have zero success, zero. Um, I don't know that it's reasonable to expect, um, most people to do that. Um, I think that I and, and some members of our group um, probably have a level of um, hard-headedness, stubbornness, extreme, um, that we will you know, stick it out and go through that. Um, but I don't think everyone will. And so I don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying that you got to remove it. I don't think you can. Like the only way you're going to be a hunter long-term, a good hunter long-term, is you have to fall in love with the process, and the process is hard. But if we can flatten that, particularly on public land in Florida for the new guys, I think it's, it's helpful. What, what do you think you, what do you think, Brett, do you have a thought? Otherwise, before, otherwise I'll, I'll keep going. Okay. What do you think is the, the proper way? Like I say that with air, air, air quotes is a guy that just came through that whole process, right? What is the way? Cause Frankly, people criticize often. Uh, we've had a lot of conversations. Several members inside the group, Patreon group, uh, have said like, hey, you guys hold stuff way too close to the vest. And because you hold it close to the vest, uh, you're, you're going too far. Uh, you know, that stuff being name dropping really good WMAs, right? Uh, not mm-hmm. giving people right. spots. There's a lot of, of, of accusations. Looking back, you're killing multiple deer. Now you found a level of success that I'm sure is going to build the confidence for you. What do you think uh, is is that flattening of the curve? Yeah, I'm, no, I'm glad you asked because um, so in preparation for tonight, I made a list of all the best WMAs oh, and a number of <laughs> a number of honey holes of some of the members of the group. And I was just going to read those out real quick if you don't mind. <laughs> Start with split shots. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll tell you all about where he hunts. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, so I, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is things like, okay, so there are a lot of, of beginner mistakes that most hunters probably made, especially if you didn't have an older mentor. So, and that's part of my story, right? Is, you know, uh, my dad got killed when I was very young and so, and I didn't have an older brother. Um, you know, so I, a lot of things in life I've, sort of done it the hard way. And so hunting is one of those things that I just, um, for various reasons we can get into later, if you want to know, um, I just decided to start hunting, uh, about 10 years ago. And, um, looking back, <laughs> I mean, uh, my first solo hunting trip involved me, uh, driving into, and I'll name drop this cause no one cares, <laughs> um, into Ocala national forest, um, driving down a road that you're not supposed to drive down that got narrower and narrower and narrower until I couldn't turn around. And all I could do was go straight, um, finding a little place to just barely get off the road, grabbing a blind 
a huge two-man blind, lugging that into a field edge and setting it up right on the edge of a field. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure you're shocked to find out I saw nothing, absolutely <laughs> nothing, right? Um, but that's what you do when you're, you know, when you're a new guy. You try to set up in an area to see as much, you know, as much uh, around you as possible. Um, but deer don't tend to walk in those areas because they don't want to be seen. Um, so I think there's a lot of basic stuff like that. Um, you know, I was out scouting a, a property, uh, what earlier this week. And, um, there's this, uh, there's this, this trail that I had seen earlier in the year is really, really good trail. Absolutely beat down. I put a camera on it. Um, and I haven't been seeing much activity and I, I didn't really understand why I went out there to pull the camera. And as I'm walking out, I noticed right where the trail like goes into the thick stuff. And I had my camera on the other side of the, like inside of the thick stuff. Um, there's a pine tree there and it's all chewed up, um, from a climber and it's right on the main trail that people walk in and drive in, but it's right at a bend. And when I saw it, I immediately knew what had happened because it's exactly the kind of thing I used to do. They set up on the bend of a main road so they could look to the left mm-hmm. and they could look to the right and they could shoot anything crossing the trail. Like that was like my standard hunting spot is find a spot where you can look down a road and sh- hopefully see something crossing the road and shoot it. I think like flattening the learning curve for new guys looks like, um, explaining to them those things that just do not work. Like, I mean, yes, that can work, but again, we know in Florida, um, long-term, like that's not going to work out so well. So like just sort of removing a lot of the stupid things that we all do beginning and learn the hard way, or we have an uncle or a brother or a dad teach us that like, no, that's not where you hunt. You know, um, you don't hunt looking down a trail. So from the community, right. As a new hunter, what were we supposed to do to help you? Um, you did help me. Um, I, by the time I came in, um, I was on, I guess, sort of the, I would say the back end. I had gone through four years of getting my butt kicked, but progressively learning more and more and more. Um, and then, you know, you guys were a tremendous help last year. I mean, there were a number of times, key moments that, um, you know, I, uh, where I would have either made a mistake or I wouldn't have had success were it not for members of the group giving me little bits of mm-hmm. wisdom, like Ron saying, you know, don't leave deer to find deer. Um, and, you know, some of the things I remember Greybeard saying, you know, telling me about his motto that year was uh, continue the hunt. And, um, you know, how I kind of interpreted that and, and how I applied it, um, I think really paid off for me that year. And so, a lot of those sayings you did help me with. I think if I had been coming in early on, um, I mean, I think one way could have been maybe me showing like a satellite map and saying, okay, this is the property. This is where I think I'm going to go hunt and having you guys go, really? Like, you're just going to go set up on a field edge and a blind. (laughs) Um, have you brushed that blind in? Has it been out there for a number of weeks? Have you seen any deer in that field? Do you have any reason whatsoever to believe there's going to be deer in that field? What sign is there? Have you scouted it? You know, and then we go on, uh, no, I was just going to go sit up on a field edge and go, okay, well your odds of seeing deer mm-hmm. then are probably pretty small. Um, and then, you know, so I think that's one way that, um, if I had come in, you know, four or five years ago that it could have helped me. Brett, you got any thoughts? 
I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I mean, I I can say that. I I don't know. Okay. That's fine. I just, I I don't want to dominate the conversation. I think, uh, Kurt, when I look back on what I did in my journey here in Florida, because Southeast Georgia, I have figured out, I mean, I proved that in 2020, I went over there and immediately got on deer on a piece of public I'd never been to before. Um, Florida kicked me in the teeth. It just kicked me in the teeth and kicked me in the teeth and kicked me. And, And it was like, I was just battered and bruised. I think... I think what would have helped me in that instance and what I think I did wrong was I went too hard into the the technical side of it. I thought, okay, this place is so challenging. This place is so overwhelming. I need to go find the baddest dude out there, study what he's doing and apply it. And over the course of all those years, you know where I found the most deer and, and learned the most from? It acted like a hub. It was feed trees. And, and, and I think, I think some of the wisdom we can share out there, and this is based on off of my interaction, and I'm sure that's different from other people's, but I think one of the things we could do from the jump is give people tools that equip them to expand beyond that, right? Like you teach somebody how to turn on a lathe, right? You start with something really simple, like a, a rough and gouge and, and you work with that rough and gouge and it has all the basic principles of a parting tool and everything else. And to a lot of you, that doesn't make any sense, but there's a starting tool that you can grow your, your wisdom from your skill set, your, you know, your technical skills from. And when I started finding feed trees, I started finding trails. When I started finding trails, I started finding bedding. And when I started finding bedding, I found transition areas. And we, and we tell these new guys like, Hey, go find a transition area. And here's what it looks like. But then split shot will get on here and be like, find the transition area within the transition area. Like what's a guy listening to that podcast supposed to do with that? Right? Like what the hell does that look like? Good luck describing it. Right. Uh, But if you tell somebody, Hey, go out there in October and walk underneath oak trees. Anybody and their brother can figure out what the hell an oak tree is, right? Walk until you find an oak tree that's got poop, tracks, and crunched up acorns underneath it. And then once you find that, look for trails and then follow those trails back. You you equip them with the knowledge to go out and do. Um, moreover, you can aerial scout feed trees, right? You can jump on right. Onyx. There's an Onyx layer that'll tell you where the oak trees are. You know, um, if, if not, if not just, uh, in Florida going and, and putting on a wintertime map and seeing what trees, you know, have lost their leaves versus don't, I mean, you can pick these things out. Um, and, and I wish somebody had stopped and told me that and said, Hey, start simple. Yeah, no, I, I think there's a lot there. Um, uh, I think the start simple part is huge. I, I think stay simple as well, because, um, 
I, I am very guilty of this. Like as hunters, it seems like a lot of times we like to, um, overcomplicate things. We like to, you know, uh, I'm going to go make a, a mock scrape and, and I'm not knocking mock scrapes. That's a great technique. A lot of guys have a ton of success with it, but we like to really complicate things. Um, and, and not just go for the obvious, like, well, you know, fine. Like, why are you in this spot? Oh, well, it's a, there's a thermal hub that meets a this and that it's like, cool. What deer signs there? Well, there, I mean, I hadn't seen any deer sign, but like, no, look at the, you know, it's like, no, just go out in the woods and walk until you find really good deer sign and then hunt that. And it, it really, I think it can be that simple. It's, um, it's hard to do that. Um, it's hard to like, especially when, you know, you can walk a lot in the woods in Florida and get your butt kicked and not find good deer sign or find deer sign that is, um, again, as an experienced hunter, you know, that that deer sign is almost certainly being made at night, um, and not during the day. Um, so, I mean, that's probably part of why, you know, starting out, I hunted, uh, trails because you would see deer tracks in trails. But again, we know that deer don't typically walk down a wide open trail unless they feel really safe doing so. And that's generally at night. Um, I think the fee trees thing is huge. And I think that's also, it ties back into the first question about how we can help new hunters. Um, one of my, uh, because I didn't have like a, a personal mentor, I created mentors like out of, out of others that I found that I aspired to be like and looked up to. And, and probably there's none bigger than Warren yeah. Womack. Um, I love that man. I've, I've read everything I could find. I've watched I, pretty much every single thing he's put on YouTube. Um, and I remember him talking about, you know, hot features, hot features, hot features. And then one day I finally came upon, upon a video of him saying like, so this is what a hot feature looks like. And I about fell out my chair. <clears throat> I'd never seen, I, I thought I knew what a hot feature looked like until I saw what Warren was talking about. And then I was like, Oh, and then it clicked for me. Like when he says it looks like it got tilled up, that's exactly what he means. It looks like something came through and just turned up the ground and there's tracks and there's, uh, like you said, there's poop there. And, um, you know, uh, that's not what I thought I was looking for. And, um, I guess the last point on that, and again, it ties back into the whole process and embracing the suck. Warren talks about, um, his sort of style of hunting um, is this sort of speed scouting, highly mobile. And he talks about, he would literally run through the woods in Louisiana, run through the swamps from tree to tree to tree, checking these oak trees because he wanted to cover as much ground as possible. So he'd go like hunt the morning if he had a spot and then he'd get down and he'd spend the middle of the day, literally running from oak tree to oak tree to oak tree to cover so many square miles and find a hot feed tree and then hunt it. And he almost never hunted the same tree twice. So, um, I mean, you think about the amount of work that man put in, you know, probably no uh, coincidence that he's still in the kind of shape and condition he's in, um, at his age when he's, uh, worked that hard his life for hunting, you know, <laughs> Brett, I'm curious for you. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about how you find success. Um, I shared my idea of what it would look like. What, what, what point, what strategy, what technique were you employing when you started to have those aha moments and you started to let, be able to build out from there? Um, one thing I was going to say though, real quick before that was thinking something really simple you could do as a new hunter is getting out and walking where your oak trees are and go in the morning 
when you would typically be hunting and go in the afternoon when you typically be hunting and bump deer. When you see deer run out from oak tree, walk over there, look for poop sign, and pay attention to where the deer run to because that's where they come from. That's their bedding area. And that's the way they're going to be coming back in there. So then plan your route and the wind to stay out of that area. It's one of the simplest things you can do early season and get on deer quickly. Yeah, that's a really great idea, um, actually. Yeah. Aha moments. Man, I, I hunted public land when I was young. So I done all the wrong things. I hunted pretty woods. That's all I knew. I grew up hunting green fields, uh, just ladder stands that my dad or whoever put up. And he used to put some up in swamps for me and would tell me to go hunt them at certain times. And I'd always see deer like, you know, cause he, he's the type that he liked to walk and hunt. He was just slip hunter. So he would find good spots where he always found deer and he'd put me a stand up. But other, I didn't know why I seen deer. So, Early on, I made a bunch of mistakes and started just after spending tons of time in the woods and making mistake after mistake. Is really when I started learning. Um, I couldn't tell you exactly what the first aha moment was, but just really bumping deer and looking for actual poop from deer instead of just tracks mm-hmm. or something like that when you're trying to hunt like feed sign because you got hunters that like to hunt feed you got hunters that like to hunt transition and travel routes then you got hunters that like to hunt beds bedding areas and real real thick so you kind of through that process as a new hunter you kind of figure out what you uh what you tend to like to do better like curtis seems he likes feed trees and maybe the uh travel routes and transition spots like that and i'm more of a transition type spot and bedding area hunter you know you just kind of figure that out through the process of a new hunter and you lean into what you like if if you could go back to your younger self i used to do this on the podcast and be like you know put put the dog on the blood right whenever you have a tracking dog you, you put it on that first that first drop of blood where that deer was where would you have placed you when you were trying to get serious about deer hunting, what strategy would you have put yourself on? What would that have looked like? Um, well, probably what I'm, what I'm doing, uh, now is I, you know, I would probably take, you know, new Curtis doesn't know his rear end from a hole in the ground when it comes to hunting. And I would take him to an area that, um, has, uh, you know, an active feed tree. um, and is near bedding and has, you know, and I would, and I would show them like, okay, this is what you're looking for. You see all of this sign, you see not one trail, but multiple trails. You see, um, how the, the ground is all torn up underneath this feed tree. Um, you know, if it's anywhere near the rut, you're going to see a lot of like bucks advertising in that area, scrapes and rubs and things like that. But I think once you see it, and you realize, oh, okay, that's what good sign looks like. That's what a good spot looks like. Then I think it makes it a lot easier to keep walking and walk past the sites that are not good or are just marginal. Um, but if you don't know what it looks like to begin with, then it's hard to just go out and find it. So I think that's what I would do. And that's what I'll do with my son is I'll take him to a great area and I'll say, 
this is dad's honey hole. You're never allowed to come back here, <laughs> but this is what it looks like. Now go find your own. <laughs> Brett, what about you? What would you have said? I told myself to hunt deer and not where I wanted to kill a deer, not what I thought was pretty woods or something. Actually, if basically if I had to come up with at least two or three things to say why I thought a deer would be there. If I couldn't answer that at a young age, and I probably shouldn't be hunting there. I think, I think for me, it would have been, don't be afraid to bust deer. You know, Brett, hmm. Brett, when I, I, I share no secrets here, right? I think everyone knows at this point, one of the reasons why I reached out to Brett was because I wanted to learn from him. He clearly had something to teach, right? And <clears throat> one of the things I noticed about Brett was, he was able to differentiate between sign that was indicative of a deer passing through versus sign that was indicative of a deer hanging in an area. You heard him talking about poop. If you find a bunch of poop, statistically speaking, there's probably something there for them to eat, right? Because that generates the bowel movements, right? Let's, let's be nerdy here for a second. You ever eat a big meal? What you take, you loosen your, your waist and about 30 minutes later, you got to go, you know, peel the paint off the wall somewhere. Right. I mean, that, that's just what it is. And so the same thing is, is applicable for deer, but also just statistically speaking, the longer you're in an area, more likely you're going to have to poop. And the areas that I have found the most amount of success, you find that sign that is just a little more indicative of a deer being in that area. Those little dinner plate pawns that you find down two tracks where a buck's been going down the road and they just paw, 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 paw. That, that's not it right? A feed tree with some heavy, fresh rubs and a couple scrapes and poop everywhere. Them deer have to be there for a long ass time for all of that to start to accumulate to be there. Um, and I, and I think I've always been so scared to bust deer out of the area because I grew up on the, the jury brothers and the primos don't go into an area until it's time. Don't go into an area until it's time. Because, dude, we're, we're playing a different game. Now, on public land, you're playing a different game. Get in there, bust them, figure out why they were there. Like Brett said, you saw them go through there. Now get you know, to run and escape that way. They felt comfortable going that way. Go figure out why, where are they going? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that's basically what I did for the opener. I scouted the day before I busted deer off this ridge and watch them run into the swamp. I looked at the area, made a perfect, uh, pinch point, a thicket here and a thicket here, the 20 yard gap that all the deer ran through it. Early season, don't overthink it when they're in hunted and should have killed a 100-inch eight-point opening morning doing just what I figured I'd do, leaving the the food source and going back to bed. Yeah, I think, uh, I think there's a lot of uh, really bad advice, not because for any reason other than it's the wrong advice for the right person. Right. Like it's the right, like my wife says all the time, whenever we get a deal on something, if it's the right deal, but the wrong time, it's the wrong deal. Right. Right. It's, it's the, it's that, that whole mantra. Uh, I think that we have to sort through it all, but all right. We belabored that unless Curtis or Brett, y'all have anything else to add any closing thoughts on that? Okay. It's time it is it's time it. to get into it. We got to talk about the man 
who has systematically arrowed more deer in a few days than just about any other person in the state of Florida. Dude, you have been on a roll. Kind of set the stage for everybody. Describe this area where you were hunting. Um, okay, so so it's so first of all, it's a piece of public that I've hunted for uh I guess this is probably the fifth or sixth year. Um I uh, I've never really had success out there um until last year. Um last year I don't remember the exact time frame, but um remember the hurricane that we had that shut down some of the, the WMAs? You? This year? Adelia? It was last year? No, oh, last year. Um, last Lord, year. I can't even remember, dude, to be honest with you. We have so many freaking hurricanes here in Florida. If you're not listening from Florida, I mean. <laughs> yeah. So I had been hunting this place for a couple of years and, like I said, um, hunting it at archery and noticing um, rut activity and, and just activity in general seemed to be picking up um, on the tail end of archery leading into muzzleloader. And so... I had decided that, you know, I was going to, um, you know, one, that I was going to start uh, muzzleloading, um, but also that I was going to start using archery um, to do sort of some in-season scouting. And so I was out there hunting. Uh, it, again, that hurricane was coming through. A lot of guys had planned to hunt that week. I think some had quotas um, that got canceled because WMAs got closed and this one happened to stay open. And so I'd gone out there to an area and I'm, I'm up in a tree and it's blowing like 20 something miles an hour. Um, and it just got to a point where I'm like, okay, this is stupid. <laughs> like, um, fun, badass, but stupid. <laughs> so I decided to, uh, to get down and I thought, you know, with the wind conditions that we have right now and the rain now it was like just kind of that persistent drizzle, but not pouring. This is a really good time to go scouting. Um, because you know, you've got a lot of good cover scent or sound. Um, the, the rain's going to wash, you know, so you're sent out. The deer probably aren't moving because of how bad the weather is. So, um, started driving some of the roads and just sort of looking and I noticed, um, in this one particular area, I saw a couple of smaller, um, like persimmon trees right off the road that had fruit. And on a whim, I was like, let me just, I, normally I would drive past something like that because I'd be like, you know, if I'm seeing that, so is every other hunter that drives by this. Um, and so just just like when I see scrapes right off the road or uh, a big, you know, big rub on a tree right off the road, I'll usually ignore it because, um, if I saw it and got out and went and looked at it and followed it, then probably so did someone else. But this time I decided to get out, saw some fresh tracks under it and kind of started walking in and immediately found like, you know, guys talk about like the cattle trail, just an absolute beat down trail where you, you couldn't even hardly make out any specific tracks because it was just so beat up. Um, and so then I just started walking that and it walked right up to a very large, very mature, uh, persimmon tree. And underneath that tree was, um, just absolutely tore up. And then I started looking around it and I started finding, um, scrapes, started finding rubs, not one, but many, um, started finding uh, fresh poop, started finding different kinds of tracks, not just deer tracks, um, all sorts of animal tracks. Um, and 
so I, I ended up dropping a couple cameras in that area and getting out and deciding that, um, you know, I was going to try to come back there and, and hunt that. Um, yeah, cameras pretty instantly started picking up sign and, um, or, uh, picking up deer and good bucks, uh, two or three very nice bucks, um, on that, like within days. And so I went back in there, um, while it was still archery season and, um, the first night I hunted it, uh, I saw a small buck, didn't get a shot at him, saw some does. Um, I, I figured that I was, I wasn't quite close enough to where I needed to be. So I made a mental note of where I wanted to be in the morning and sort of made an adjustment, went in and this is the one you guys will probably remember. Um, it's still probably the biggest buck I've seen out there. Um, he was walking through the way this lays out is it's sort of, if you can imagine sort of a bowl. Uh, sort of a depression, um, and there's high sides almost all the way around it. And on one side is um, persimmon, and there's some oaks and sort of the feed area. And on the other side is uh, very obvious bedding. And in the middle, it's uh, it's kind of a thicket, and so it, it's a travel corridor. Um, so anyway, I had seen this this uh, very nice buck walk in. Um, I, I'm certain he would have been a registry. Uh, about 80 yards out, um, I, on a whim, just threw a couple grunts his way and he stopped and turned and, and started walking directly to me. And, um, I, you know, losing my stuff. I'm shaking like a leaf. I get my bow up. Um, I had pre-ranged some trees, but in the moment I completely forgot everything that I had pre-ranged and where those trees even were. And, um, I thought he, I thought I guessed his range, right? I didn't. I shot the first arrow and missed him and he kind of bounded off 10 yards or so and then stopped. He's still very confused. Um, it was pretty high up. He couldn't really see me. So, um, I, uh, he kind of just froze and was kind of looking and I was able to hide behind the tree, knock another arrow. Long story short, ended up flinging a second arrow at him. That one hit a branch and, uh, missed him again. Um, and then he took off and so still heartbroken about that one, <laughs> but uh, but it, it gave me another piece of the puzzle. See, up to that point, all I knew is like, oh, there's feed trees here. But that showed me, oh, wait, they're actually traveling through here. This is like an actual travel corridor. Um, and then um, later on that year, I, with a muzzle loader, this is the, the one that um, I shot at a nice buck in there and the powder had gotten wet. I didn't know at that point that you needed to... Um, tape the breach or whatever to protect it from the early morning dew that we have in Florida. And so the power got wet. And later that evening when I, uh, you know, tried to shoot this buck, it just made a loud pop and he took off running, but no bullet. So, um, so I had, you know, two heartbreaks. Uh, this was all last year, but again, it really, like I learned a lot about this area. And so, um, and then I also started kind of thinking that I knew what was happening as far as the betting was concerned. I wasn't sure, but I thought I did. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's the short version. Went back in there um, this year for a lot of reasons. I didn't really have an opportunity to scout. So I just went right back to that spot, went actually right back to the tree that I shot at um, the, that nice buck twice and missed um, opening morning. And... Um, yeah, just about an hour after first light, I heard 
footsteps coming in behind me and um there you know there was a nice buck there shot him and uh then looked over and there was another buck and i tried to shoot that one too but i missed (laughs) him and uh that was sort of the beginning of that week that was crazy and fun but um, take us take us for the ride man to break everybody break down for everybody what happened because i think everybody if you asked everybody like describe the out ideal outcome of several days hunting they'd be like a deer and yet, yeah i think you passed slash saw more deer than most floridians see in a season yeah i mean th- this this area is is crazy um again it's you know it, it's one of those, I th- how did I say it? I was like, I, uh, I, I stumbled upon the answer and then started asking the right questions. Like I just kind of dumb lucked into this spot. And then because of the sign and seeing deer in there constantly, I started like, going, well, wait a second. Why are they, why do they always seem to be moving in one direction in the morning and a different direction in the evening? And the, it, it sets up perfectly with the prevailing wind in that area. And so kind of started putting those pieces together. Well, the wind's always kind of generally blowing this one direction and they seem to always, almost always be moving in one direction. Um, so yeah, I kind of started piecing it together, but, um, yeah, so that morning shot, uh, that six point, uh, he's a small six. Um, and then, yeah, I tried to, tried to shoot his buddy. Um, I think I ended up seeing a doe or two that morning. Um, but that deer, I thought I had made a bad shot. Well, I did make a bad shot. Um, I'm still not entirely sure what happened with that one. Um, my best guess is that, remember I said that it's kind of a bowl and down in the bottom of the bowl is how they like to travel, but it's very thick in there. Um, and I'm sitting up, not only am I up on the sort of the rim of the bowl, but because this particular tree that I'm hunting out of, there's not good cover or anything around it. I'm as high as I can possibly go with my climbing system. So I'm 40 feet up Jesus. in the tree. Um, yeah, Holy way up there. Christ, dude. So, but I can look down into it. It's basically like setting up on the edge of a, of a cut over or something and being able to look Do down in there. And so the deer, are you a one sticker? Huh? Yeah, yeah one sense. stick. Right, keep going. Yeah. So the deer walk in there. They 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 don't think anyone can see them because it's so thick. But when you're you know already ten or twenty feet above them, and then you add you know another thirty or forty feet to that, I can see them just fine. Um. So anyway, long story short, at some point, um, I so that 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 buck came in behind me, but he was like right on top of me. And he was on my weak side and, um, I didn't really have time to take that shot. It would have been a very, very sharp angle, like almost straight down through his back. And I knew not to take that shot. Um, I screwed that up actually the previous year. And so I was waiting and hoping that he would sort of hook out in front of me and give me a broadside shot, but he didn't. He just sort of turned directly away from me and was walking. And all I was looking at was his rear end. So at about 30 yards, I realized, okay, this deer is not going to turn and give me a shot. So I grunted, um, and that, that stopped him. He turned around and kind of started coming back towards me investigating. But what he did is he walked down into that thicket. And so, um, I, uh, at some point, I think between putting down my grunt tube and getting knocked and everything, I think he turned around and I didn't catch it. And, um, 
long story short, um, I shot at the wrong end. There's <laughs> <laughs> no other way to put it because the arrow entered uh, the extreme back uh, edge of uh, one of his rear hams and exited um, just behind the ribs on the other side. So blew out guts. Um, didn't know it at the time, but I had hit the femoral artery. Um, he jogged off about 10 yards, stopped, uh, didn't seem to really understand what had happened. And then I saw him run, um, about a hundred yards and he ran directly to what I had already started kind of concluding was, was probably betting. And actually that was another piece of the puzzle was seeing where he ran. Like Brett said, um, deer typically when they're scared, they're going to run to where they feel safe. And so, um, so yeah, so that's what happened with that one. Got down, um, luckily, and, and this is what I love about the group. Um, I immediately started following what had happened. Immediately had guys coming on telling me what to do. Guys like Brett, Cole, and, and a lot of too many to, to even think remember right now. But a lot of guys coming on and giving me advice. Um, heck, even like Charles from Pennsylvania was like, "Dude, here's the number for United Blood Trackers." You know, just tons of guys coming in and helping out. And um, I, yeah, I guess I, I uh, played it right. I walked around just a little bit to uh, like no more than 30 or 40 yards from my tree, um, about 20 yards from the hit site, uh, just to see if I could find any good blood. I couldn't, so I backed out and called a dog. And the dog came in and immediately got on the, the trail. And within 30 seconds, there's a puddle of blood on the ground the size of like a dinner plate. Um, I never seen that much blood and that's when I realized like, Oh, this deer is dead for sure. And, uh, we found it. The dog went straight to him. He was less than a hundred yards away, just on the edge of that bedding. Um, so that was the first one. That was, uh, that first morning. Keep going, man. I, yeah, I know. Keep going. Okay. Don't stop. All right. <laughs> All right. So then, um, well, okay. Let me ask you this. All right. Hold on. You, you pause. Yeah. So you give me the opportunity to think about this. Do you think this is a delicate question? But you shot at the wrong end of the deer. Do you think it was just adrenaline? Like, um, probably. Um, I'm still learning to control that. Um, uh, Graybeard likes to call it caveman brain, and I think I suffer from caveman brain um, badly. Um, <laughs> Like I try to slow down, I try to breathe, I try to like do all the things, and I and I am definitely getting better at it. Um, but um, yeah, I had Jabo cracking up one time because I was like, you know, I see a deer, and the only thing that I, is going through my head, my like my, I'm trying to talk to myself and calm myself down, but my brain's going shoot, shoot, shoot you know. And so um, I'm I'm getting better at it, but yeah, I think it was a combination of adrenaline. And just taking my off the deer and it being so thick in there that, um, I mean, this is a pretty big pine tree. And so, and my grunt tube was on the right side of the tree and that's where the deer was, but he moved to the left. And I think what he did is he went to the left, he looked around and then he turned and went back to the right. And I just missed that turn. And I mean, also, if you saw the area, uh, the kind of stuff that's in that thicket can easily be mistaken as antlers. And so... And he wasn't like it wasn't like he had a huge rack to begin right. with, so it was just sort of the right things coming together that led to me putting it on his uh, front shoulder. But it, 
Just his rear shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> his rear shoulder. Yeah. Thank God you used those fancy broadheads. Yeah. Yeah. I got super lucky on that one. And, you know, I always, you know, like, I, like, like most hunters, um, I always try to make a, an ethical kill. And, um, I hate it. I hate it when I don't beat myself up pretty big for it. So, um, cause I mean, at the end of the day, like I'm choosing to hunt your boat, you know? So um, I feel like if you're going to do that, then you really owe it to that animal to, you know, be as deadly with it as you can be. And so, yeah, I was pretty upset about it, but I was glad once I saw that puddle of blood and that he died really, really quickly. Um, so then, yeah, that night I um, I hunted that night in the same area, um, different tree. Um, and can't remember i think oh yeah yeah i do remember so um yeah right at uh right at last light uh i was just doing some uh soft running and um had a, a nice buck uh, i'm guessing three-year-old eight point come in um but it was one of those where you know how when the light is just low enough you look over and your brain goes that's a deer but it, you're not quite sure yeah. it is and then you look back, and then slowly your brain kind of connects the dots with the shape and the fact that it's not moving, but it's, like, the right shape. And then finally it, like, turns slightly or it does something, and you're like, oh, crap, that is a deer, you know? It was one of those. So I saw it, and he was close to me, but um, he wasn't coming my direction. He had come in hearing the grunt. And uh, and so I grunted him a couple more times. Um, he came back. Uh, probably within, I would say about 30 yards, but after what I had done that morning, I did not feel, I didn't trust my 30 yard pen even, and it was low light and I was not about to wound another deer. So, um, I just let him walk, but, um, he was a good one, really good one. Um, so then the following day, um, I had talked to, uh, a, a real, real good friend of mine from the group. And, um, I said, Hey dude, you should think about calling in sit to work one day this week and come out. I want to blast this guy. And so, so bad, but I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And so he came back and said that he was going to do that, uh, on Thursday. And so I was like, okay, cool. Well then I'm going to, I'm going to let this place cool off a little bit. Um, I had already shot, uh, two of my three arrows. Um, and so what I decided to do for Wednesday was to kind of sleep in uh, catch up on my sleep a little bit. Cause you know, as a old fart, um, I do have to be careful about hunting too hard. Um, so I slept in, I sharpened up my broadheads. I went in the backyard and shot 10 arrows at 30 yards and they were all in, you know, the main ring. Um, so I was, I was like, okay, like my 30 yard pin is fine. I can shoot 30 yards. Um, but, um, so anyway, um, that I went back in there Wednesday night, but I, I didn't want to go back into that same area. I wanted to stay out of it for the Thursday hunt with my friend. And so, um, thinking that I had figured out where the bedding was, I, um, just quietly sort of walked in middle of the day, about three o'clock or so, and got as close to the bedding as I could. Um, it's real thick, uh, what I would call scrub. It's a bunch of those like low bush, um, low bush, uh, oak trees, um, about waist to shoulder high. Um, 
and it just looks like an impenetrable wall of of just scrub habitat. But you get up in a, in a pine and look down into it, and you see that it's actually a maze, and they walk all through there. Um, so I got up the that and just kind of treated as an observation um, set. I set up so that my wind wasn't blowing into the bedding, and just got my binos out and just was glassing. And uh, right at six thirty, I saw a really, really, really nice buck stand up out of his bed and walk out and recorded him walking out of the bedding, crossing a road and, and headed in a direction that we'll be getting explored here very soon, <laughs> uh, figuring out why he was walking that direction. But, um, so that, that really like, that was another huge piece of the puzzle. Cause like I said, then that confirmed, okay, yeah, this absolutely 100% is bedding. Um, and so then, yeah, we went back in there, uh, met up with my buddy. We hunted it Thursday morning. Um, and he set up on one end, uh, very close to the bedding. And I set up on, um, not all the way on the other end, but on a tree that's close to the other end, but also like kind of more down in the actual bottom, um, right on the edge of, um, a stand of like young pines and, um, anyway, long story short, um, right around, I, I'd been seeing pretty consistent movement out there around eight, eight thirty in the morning. So, um, right at eight, I started getting ready and really, you know, hyper-focusing and, um, everything worked out. I was looking to my left, my, my strong side, um, the deer did exactly what I thought they were going to do. They came in. Um, if I had set up how I had Tuesday morning, they'd have been coming in behind me on my weak side. That's why I repositioned. Um, they came from the exact same direction. Um, but now he's on my strong side. He came through those pines. Um, but I was able to see him and, and grab my bow and get ready. I had prearranged a bunch of trees. So I knew exactly where he was. Um, I even had the time to like pick a spot and say, okay, um, that's where I'm going to stop him. And that's going to be 20 yards. And, um, just everything worked out. He, um, he stopped, he was coming in with his head up, so I couldn't draw, but he literally got to the spot where I was going to stop him and dropped his head and his head went behind some bushes. And so it was just absolutely perfect. I drew back and he picked his head up. And when he did, I released the arrow and, um, just perfect pass through. He ran same deal, ran 10 yards, stopped, looked around, confused, um, stood there for about 10 seconds. I saw his back leg start to buckle. He tried to run and, and less than 10, 15 yards from there. I, I literally watched him go down and, uh, that was it. And that's to date, probably my most favorite hunt, my best, um, my best bow buck for sure. And my best like shot execution, like did everything right. Yeah. Go, good. Brett. I had a, a question in there, Curtis. Yeah. Is he talking right Would now? Would you say that buck was going back to bed? Oh, yeah. hold on. I can't, uh, I can't. I think it was It was in the morning, and I think it was headed to bedding. Yeah. And the reason, I know you said there was like acorn trees and persimmons in that area, but you were catching that movement coming back to bedding. Yeah. So, so we think, so my, my friend who was set up closer to the bedding, I didn't know this. He had texted me, um, at some point and said, big buck, 80 yards to your, I think he said East. He had seen the buck right where those persimmons are and where some of the oaks are. He had seen that buck milling around in there. 
And so we think the buck kind of worked through that area and then made a loop and came back and was walking back to his bedding. Uh, what time of the day did you end up shooting that deer? It was like right at eight in the morning. Okay. What was the moon doing? Honestly, and, and uh, I don't want to start anything here. You're going to hate this, but I don't pay any attention to the moon. I'm not convinced. Um, skeptic. Um, I want to believe. I really want to believe. Um, I am actually about to read a book. The the book, what's it called? Uh, Moonstruck, I think it's called. Um, I, I really want to believe it, but um, I just don't know. I, I think, if anything, uh, moon effect deer in the same way that the moon affects fish it's I, I believe it's probably mostly indirectly like moon affects the tides and the tides affect the fish um but yeah so sorry brett i really don't know what the moon was doing there no reason why i asked because we had a full moon then that was up eh, i believe it was around four o'clock or so in the morning when it coincides closely with daylight mm-hmm. and that's what i typically see uh, when those mornings I'll sit up on a transition or by a bed and, and you'll catch the deer going back to bed during shooting light because they stayed out later. Later. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I 100% believe you and your experience. Um, I, I think you're onto something. I just, I want more hard evidence and, and science to actually support it and back it up. And so far I haven't seen it, but um, I definitely believe and listen to guys like you when you say that. So, and I know you have a theory about illumination and how that affects them as well. And, um, I think you're probably right. Y'all should do it. I was just curious. I didn't know if you paid attention to that, but that's the same thing. Uh, a couple of days later that I run into the same thing, catching the deer going back to bed. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was that hunt. I think saw a couple of does, uh, that morning, um, saw one for sure i think i saw a second one and um then yeah we got down and and recovered that buck and um that evening um i went back to the same spot um my friend went to a a different location um and really I, i didn't i don't think i saw any deer that night um but had a really cool encounter with a black bear um he came in smelling uh the fresh kill and, um, I got all this on, on film and it was a really, really cool thing to show my kids and show you guys. But, um, yeah, he came in within, I would say 10 yards of my tree before he realized that, um, the fresh kill was, you know, 20 feet up a tree and was me <laughs> and, uh, and then turned inside out and took off running. And that was uh, a really, really cool experience and an awesome way to end, uh, an amazing day hunting. So. And I would say that was an experience we got to share with him because he shared that with us on Marco Polo, mm-hmm. which is really cool to share that with all the other guys that's out hunting while you're working. Yeah, I mean it, it hurts, but it but it's nice at the same time. <laughs> well, I think that's that's also what's kind of cool about it is like we all feed off of each other, and so like everyone, I imagine, like I get in sort of slumps where I just I don't feel like putting out the work to go hunt, or I'm just I don't know, I'm just not feeling. It. I got other things going on, and I'm just kind of whatever. But then I come on and I see you know Bronco and whack an absolute beast, and I'm like, oh, I gotta get back out in the woods, you know, um, you know, it's uh, then that 
I end up posting something and then that drives the next guy. And it's like, we all just like feed off of each other to, uh, hunt hard and you know, it's awesome. So that was basically the end of that week. And, uh, so then I went back out there, uh, the next week and, um, same setup, same deal, uh, open in the morning, um, eight o'clock thereabouts, um, had a, uh, another, you know, nice, uh, six point, um, well, the, so the, yeah, that, that one from the previous week ended up being my best bow buck. He was like 145 pounds and, um, pretty good main beams and good buck. And this one was sort of in between the first, uh, the first one and the second one. Um, this one that came in earlier this week, actually. Um, and, um, really cool. I, I was recording it, the, camera sort of malfunctioned and I didn't get to show it to you guys, which was uh, heartbreaking, but also it would have been really good to have had it to see the shot. But, um, that deer came in, uh, working, you know, if you can imagine that bottom and I'm on one side of it, he came in from the other side working to my left, um, sort of going in, in slightly the opposite direction of where the big one that I had shot the week prior was. And, um, I grunted at him right when he hit that pine thicket. Um, cause I always try to make sure that when I'm grunting that they can't quite see where the grunt came from. Like I always kind of want to make it like they're curious, you know, that's kind of what I'm tapping into. So I waited for him to get inside of that. And then I just hit a couple soft grunts and he kind of stopped and looked back. Um, and then he, uh, after a few seconds, you know, started walking again. I hit him with a couple more soft runs again, stopped and looked back. Um, then started walking again. And, uh, at this point he's probably about, I don't know, 60 yards. Um, I'm seeing that he is absolutely not turning around. He's walking away from me. And so I kind of threw out a Hail Mary. Um, I hit a doe bleat and then followed that up with a couple, uh, like tending grunts and, that turned him on a dime and he came right back to me, worked, uh, around in front of me was a little bit further out. Um, I estimated he was at 30 yards. So put that 30 yard pen right on his shoulder and, um, and sent it. And, um, the shot ended up as best I could tell in the moment, it ended up being uh, a little bit high, but I think critically a little too far forward and, um, just, uh, didn't end up being enough to, uh, to kill him. So, um, you know, yeah, again, it would have been nice to have been able to see that on the video and, and know right away, like what the shot looked like, but, um, tracked blood for about 200 yards. Um, and then got a dog out and they followed the trail for about a mile and ultimately determined that, uh, that that buck was, uh, was probably going to live. Um, so yeah, a little bit disappointing, but, um, still it's an, it's an awesome hunt and, um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about that one. Well, it sounds like you, you've seen tons of deer. Yeah. Like, I don't, could you estimate how many deer you've probably seen in that? that week span so over so i hunted so basically i hunted in that area i've only hunted in that area three days 
Um, yeah, so three days, six hunts total, and I've probably seen, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four. I think I've seen probably a total of six bucks and probably about the same number of does. So probably between 10 and 15 deer um, and quite a bit of bucks. That's kind of what surprised me, actually, is like just the number of bucks that I've seen moving through that area. Yeah, you found that that type of habitat that a buck just really likes, and yeah, you, it sounds like you've learned a lot from it. You you, you let the deer tell you where they're bedding, where they're feeding. You you shot a deer, watched where it ran, confirmed. Yeah, um, now you know kind of for the future of what those deer are looking for, like cover wise and what they feel comfortable in. So that's yeah. a lot of stuff learned. Yeah, no, that's, that's been the cool, and it's still continuing. Like, I, I still, you know, I've learned a lot about that area, but I think that there's still so much more to it that I, I don't yet understand or haven't figured out. Um, there's other sections of that area. Like, for example, when I was um, blood trailing that last buck, um, got into an area that I would not have walked into, but it was just I mean, both me and the tracker like stopped on a dime and was like, whoa, I mean, just huge rubs, big, like massive scrapes in the ground, huge paw print. I mean, like there is a nice buck that is, that's probably his core area. Um, there's just a lot of good buck sign there. So I definitely dropped some pins on that. And, uh, I threw a, a cam, a cell cam, um, just on the inside edge of the bedding and that other spot, kind of where I'd seen that buck walk out uh, last week. And so I've been kind of keeping tabs on that and planning to get back down there and and scout and learn. And um, that's, I think this is true for a lot of people, but that's probably the thing. Like I love, um, I love everything about hunting. Um, there's probably nothing I don't love about it. I love shot execution. Um, I love harvesting deer. I love eating deer, but probably my favorite is trying to understand them. Um, trying to look at, uh, a map, um, look at the terrain and trying to figure out what they're doing and why they're doing it and how they're using it. And that is probably more satisfying to me than even harvesting a nice, a nice animal. It's, um, when I take like a new piece of public that I've never hunted before or a new block and a piece of public that I've never hunted before. And I start off cyber scouting it and kind of breaking it down and, you know, go in there and go, go to where I drop my pens and I see exactly what I thought I would see. That is immensely rewarding. And I would say that's probably been my journey as a deer hunter has been really just about trying to understand the animal and figure out what they're doing and why they're doing it. So, I would say one thing that I think you did that other hunters probably should pay attention to is you said you hunted this area for five years, correct? This is the fifth? Not this this location, but this this public land. Right, right. So you went three years with just getting your butt kicked, and you stayed with it, and you started figuring something out on year four, and here we go on year five and, and you're just building a pond and compiling stuff after years. And it's just stick with it. It's not, you're going to go out there and immediately start killing deer. This, 
when you're hunting public land, it takes a while. Yeah. You're going to get your butt kicked and you just stick with it and keep compiling everything you've learned and eventually it will pay off. Yeah. I mean that, no, that's definitely true. And I would also like, I, I'd add to that knowing when to like try something different. So this piece of public, like a lot of public in, in Florida has a, um, a Creek that runs through it. And so for a lot of my hunts out there for years, um, it entailed basically hunting the really thick stuff right along the edge of the Creek. And, um, I would consistently see does and young bucks and, um, or I would see nothing and I would see, you know, decent sign, but I just wasn't seeing, I wasn't seeing the kind of deer activity nor the size of the deer that I would, that I wanted to see. Um, and so eventually I said, okay, well, you got to change something up here. Let's, let's check out some of these other areas. And like I said, this, this particular spot, if, um, I showed it to you on the map, you would, it's not, it doesn't stand out as anything. Like you probably wouldn't look at it and go like, yeah, like that's where deer are going to be, but it's just the right things coming together with the, you know, the feed trees that are there. The, I, th- I do think that the topography, that bottom, I think plays into it. Um, the bedding that's close by once kind of put it all together, it's like, okay, yeah, it makes sense, but it's not the kind of thing that you would look at on a map and think that deer are going to be there. Um, so I think that's another big part of it is like, you know, if you're out there just getting your butt kicked, don't just keep doing the same thing, you know, try something different, keep moving as, as Greybeard would say, continue the hunt. Don't just like sit there and wait for something to walk by you. So as, as a disclaimer, I can't actually hear Brett. I haven't been able to hear Brett for like 15 minutes. I can barely hear over your mic parts of what he's saying, but y'all had a great dialogue. I loved it. Okay. <laughs> I I have got, I have got a freeze frame of Brett. That's been a freeze frame for like the last solid 15, 20 minutes. Um, his, the good news about the software is it's recording his audio independently from everybody else's. So the podcast isn't going anywhere. Um, but I'm going to say that this is probably a good point, unless you have something to add. Uh, probably a good point to put a pin in this because I can't really talk to Brett. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think the only thing I would add is I, I just want to, you know, give a big shout out to the guys. That I've kind of already named a bunch of them, but there's there's a ton, dude. And I, I mean, I could sit here and just rattle them off, but um, they know who they are. Um, the guys that are active in our uh, in our group have helped me tremendously um, in so many ways. And, and like, so like I'll sometimes catch myself saying that like, Oh, I'm self-taught. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's really not true. That's not true at all. And I don't think there's any coincidence that, um, that while yes, I've been out there putting in the work and getting my butt kicked and doing the process, um, success really also coincided with me joining this group and um i don't i don't think that's accidental i think that um just having a group like this to bounce questions off of to pick pick their brains to tell you like no dude you know stop what you're doing get back up in the tree mm-hmm. you yep. know um 
you know, all, all the things, I mean, you've, you've seen them, you've seen so many of the mistakes that I've made and things that I've done. And, um, yeah, I just can't thank the men and this group and, and the guys that have helped me out enough. And, um, it's just, it's an honor. It's an honor to be a part of this group. It's an honor to have something to give back. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate, uh, what you guys do. Well, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to spread a little more love even a little, another layer. Uh, you've got the guys like gray beard who know what the hell they're talking about and split shot who really work to make sure people have the information they need. And then you got like 67 cheerleaders that are all out there just rooting you on, you know, Pat, God bless his soul. He can't get on deer consistently to save his life. But I tell you something, he's your biggest advocate at the end of the day, man. And if you sleep in too many times during the season, J is going to poke fun at you to, to, to try and encourage you to get out there. You know, I mean, uh, you got a whole group of guys out there just rooting you on the whole time. And, and every time somebody kills something, it's the worst thing. I keep telling everybody it's the worst and the best thing. You're trying to be productive at work. I listen to the Marco Polo, like a live podcast. I put my headphones in, I'm doing my work and the app's just sitting over there open, plugged in. And then somebody says something and it's just a little, little like live podcast that's going on. And then you got Bronk losing his crap in the group today. You know, good luck being productive. That's right. So awesome. And then you got Kurt like, Hey, I just killed my sixth deer. And everybody's like, you gotta be kidding me. You know, like it's just, it's just this awesome thing. So I encourage everybody, uh, if you're struggling, if you're one of those guys out there that, that you're up against that wall and you're frustrated, this is a group for you. That's why we have this community. Yeah. Um, we're leaning into that hard. It's in the freaking intro of the podcast. I hope that's indicative of how serious we take it. We moderate it very seriously to make sure it's nothing but, mm-hmm. you know, positivity and, and encouragement. And, and I just, I hope people understand it's a resource that's there for you uh, to, to better yourself. And I don't think anybody in that group is, is doing anything but moving forward. Even if it's slowly, you're moving forward. So Kurt, man, I appreciate you taking time out your day. Uh, we're going to have to have you back on. You've been requested heavily, uh, the past year or two. So we're going to have you back on. You're not, you've still got like three deer tags left. So there's plenty of opportunities for success stories to come. Yeah. And I'm hoping to, uh, I have a goal. I, I want to kill a buck on public land and every state in the nation. Okay. So, um, I'm trying to, to start that this year with, uh, with a destination hunt out somewhere out, outside of Florida. So, uh, yeah, hopefully some more, some more exciting polos to come. We'll see, but thanks for having me and, and thanks for the, you know, this group, man, and what you guys have uh, put together. I really appreciate it.